Music Industry Podcast, and I'm David Andrew Let's dig in. Today I'm chatting with Russ Barber from Electric Kiwi and Bridge the Atlantic Podcast. He's a web and graphic designer based in Glasgow, UK. How are you today, Ross? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. How are things over in UK? Uh, very busy. Um, yeah, it's just uh, I'm working on a ton of things right now, um, which is all very exciting. But yeah, there's not really a moment to kind of breathe. So it's nice that we're doing a podcast interview where I'm forced to close down my email and stop working and just talk. So I appreciate <laughs> you uh, inviting me on the show. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can appreciate that as well, because this has been a pretty crazy week for me. And it it's not every week that I'm forced to get up at the same time every day and then work till the same time every night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess that's one of the exciting things about being like an entrepreneur and maybe, you know, specifically a music entrepreneur is you can set your own times to do things so exactly but it can be nice to have you know a set time that you start and a set time that you finish because I think well I know that I do if I don't have those guidelines I could probably just end up working like all day and into the night and the next thing I realize is oh it's 10 o'clock and I've not eaten yet Um, which happens quite a lot actually (laughs) well yeah I think routine is actually hugely important I wouldn't necessarily want to do quite the crazy routine that I've been doing in the last couple of days every single day. But, you know, having various income sources and different work and being in demand is a good thing. And there's a lot of people struggling out there right now. So I consider it a pretty major blessing, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'd much rather be busy than not busy. Exactly. Well, I know that we're just getting this chat underway, but I'm going to be the devil's advocate just for a moment. Okay. You provide custom web design services for musicians, but musicians don't have any money. So what were you thinking, man? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, really what I was thinking was I studied popular music at university because I thought I wanted to be a musician. Um, but I ended up kind of veering away from pursuing the performance as a career. And I'd been doing web design since I was like 12. I taught myself web design way back in the day. Um, so I knew that I wanted to do something that involved music. Um, and because I've been doing websites, it kind of made sense to combine the two. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you're right. A lot of musicians don't have money, but I'm finding that a lot of them do see the value in having a website and more specifically a custom website that really reflects what they're doing musically in the online space. Um, and I, I always say it's more of an investment than anything else. So artists spend a lot of money recording their music, but they don't necessarily spend the money on like the promotion and the marketing side of things. And I feel that that is where a lot of artists go wrong. So I think investing in a really good website and something that looks great and works well is going to last you years. It's not something that you know you pay for and then six months later you need something else you pay for it and it should last you two, three, four, five years or so before you need to make any major, uh, you know, changes depending on what's going on with technology and so on. Right. Kind of like a decent laptop or or a desktop computer, right? Should last you a good three to four years if you have the top of the line. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So I always say it's an investment more than anything. And if you're 
serious about what you're doing you want to you know book more shows you want to sell more music and you want to make the right first impression then invest it, invest in yourself and and get a website that that really does all those things yeah and of course i'm just being cheeky and asking you obviously there's some musicians that might not have quite the budget and probably need to view it in exactly the way you just described it which is an investment rather than this massive expense that they somehow have to to foot but i'm guessing there's also many other artists that are serious about their career want to see you know their online presence polished so that they can really take their career to the next level yeah absolutely i mean i come across you know all kinds i mean it's it's kind of funny sometimes when you see really established artists but their online presence doesn't reflect that at all like yeah if you hadn't heard of them you would think that they had done this themselves 10 years ago and that they were struggling because it just doesn't give that right impression um but then you do see some like you know artists who are just starting out and they've got amazing websites and i think that that can project that image of success that you know the more established ones should be having uh so yeah i see all kinds um I speak to all kinds of artists, most, you know, a lot who do see the value and some who need a bit of convincing as to, you know, why it's important to make that right first impression. Yeah. I had the opportunity to meet like a known drummer and he had a domain name, but it pointed directly to a Reverb Nation page. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's a professional, I guess. And like he probably, you know, his name is maybe not on any album. So Maybe the necessity isn't there quite as much. I would certainly argue that maybe having a good website would be better for his fans. Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, you've got to think of your website as the online hub where everything about you lives. Um, And, you know, there's no problem like linking out to your social platforms or Reverb Nation or whatever it is you use, you know, more on like a day-to-day kind of basis. But I think you definitely need some sort of hub. And yeah... It it always makes me sad when I see someone's paid for their domain name and all it does is point to Reverb Nation or Facebook. It's just, you know, come on, have a bit more pride in what you do and, you know, show that you are serious about what you do and you want people to see that. Um, so even just like a, a simple one page site would be better than just forwarding on to, you know, another platform that you don't actually own. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And there was actually another time where I was walking down the street, uh, downtown Calgary, and I don't know what was going on. There was some kind of event happening and there was an artist that just kind of came up and was talking to everybody. So we were his targets and, you know, we got handed, immediately got handed business cards. And, you know, I think it's kind of, you know, I was listening to an interview that you did last night, but it's kind of what you said, like, first of all, hello would be nice, you know, Mm -hmm. we'd love to meet you first before we kind of talk business. But yeah, second of all, I looked at his card and it was, you know, social media sites. I don't think there was any mention of a website on his card. So I don't know how pro you are or think you are. I just, I, I kind of wonder a little bit whether or not uh, you're, you're a serious artist. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think having the website and having your own domain, it kind of shows that level of commitment that you have because, you know, anyone can set up their social media and, and, you know, and and pass that around. But I think, you know, actually buying the domain and having a website kind of shows you're in it for the long haul rather than, 
you know, you're just someone that started and you're going to give up in two weeks. Um, yep. Obviously, I'm not saying that people that don't have a website are doing that. I'm just saying that's the impression that, that I get. And from the sounds of it, a lot of people get that kind of impression. It's not as professional as maybe it should be. So exactly and yeah and that annoys me when people don't at least try and say hello or <laughs> or you know like that's the thing i i get a lot of messages on twitter and you know it's people not even saying hi they just tweet me a link to their music and say listen to this share it yeah and a lot of the time i want to reply and like well one uh hello would be nice uh two yeah. you don't know if i actually like the genre of music that you're trying to get me to listen to and and i just feel a little bit conversation draws me in and makes me want to check it out so yeah yeah that's just that's a bad first impression <laughs> and, sure. and i do get like random press releases as well that are not really addressed to anyone in particular do you get that too oh i get that i get a uh, dear sir or madam i get uh, <laughs> to whoever whom whomever this may concern i'm not actually sure if that's even the right one but either way yeah i get that and i also get uh, like for the podcast, we get emails. It's like, oh, we'd love to be featured in your magazine. And well, it's not a magazine. Right. Uh, and we sometimes get them addressed to the wrong name as well. Um, mm. I did actually call someone out about that <laughs> last week. I mean, she she wrote a really, it was a great pitch email. It's just she got the name wrong at the start. And she said, dear Jeff. So I replied, <laughs> uh, just like, like I would reply to any email. But at the bottom, I just put P.S., who's Jeff with a winky face? Because I was like, I, I, I wanted her to know, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of joking with her. But to also highlight, uh, you made this mistake, maybe fix that for future. Um, right. And she, she replied, she, she actually didn't address the, the PS part, but, you know, that's fine. Um, I just felt like, no, I need to do something like this. <laughs> yeah, who's Jeff? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's obvious to me that she, you know, copied and pasted the email and sent it to a few right. people. Um, but... It's just the, it's those little details. Uh, pay attention to the details. I actually have a, a one-minute sending delay on my email because mm. I'm terrified of making that exact mistake, of putting someone's name wrong or spelling their name wrong or something like that. So I have it set to a delay so that when I hit send, I go back into my drafts folder and check that I've put the right name and that I've spelled that right because it's a fear I've got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get that. I mean, as an avid writer and editor of content, I still, you know, need to pause or look it over twice to make sure that what I've said is is accurate and correct. So I think anybody else out there would want to as well. Yeah, get, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I guess what that has me wondering is just if if the majority of musicians just don't know how to market themselves or if that's just the vocal minority that's reaching out with these, you know, random, non-customized press releases and messages. Yeah, it's difficult to know whether it's, you know, a lack of education or if, if they just don't really care or think about it. I like to think it's a lack of education, but at the same time, it's kind of hard to, you know, to give them that, that reason because there's so many resources out there Uh there are so many of them free as well, sort of giving you guidelines on how to do things right and how not to do them. You know, for example, this podcast mm. is a resource which is, you know, teaching people what to do and what not to do in order to have a successful career in the music industry. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like a lot of the time the information, it's just not, um, I, I don't know, I just feel like they're not getting the information somehow. 
And that's something I think needs to change. Because I think most musicians would, would like to be doing things, quote unquote, the right way. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's, you know, that they don't care because I think they do. I just think it's not quite getting to them in the right way. Yeah. And I guess it's maybe the same thing that some entrepreneurs experience, right? Either, either we're looking to create some value for our audience or we're just looking for a way to make our next mortgage payment. And the difference is pretty apparent when, yeah. when that product or that service is released or that sales pitch is released. So I'm guessing it's very much the same for, for some musicians. Maybe they just want the money now and you know there just isn't any instant gratification that way. Yeah, very possible. It's, it's hard to, to know for sure. Um, but certainly, you know, I work with musicians every day and, and the musicians that I tend to work with are all very interested in learning and bettering the way that they do things, um, which is nice. great. They're, they're, they're the kind of people that I, I want to be working with. So more, more of you, please. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think I definitely still see a lot of stuff being done badly. Uh, yes. And I, I do try, you know, where I feel it's appropriate to sort of say, hey, have you thought about doing it this way? Or, you know, and sometimes people are very appreciative and they say, oh, I didn't actually think of that. This is really helpful. And sometimes they get very defensive. Um, and, you know, I get like, how, well, how am I supposed to know? I, I'm a musician. I'm not I'm not a publicist or I'm not, <laughs> you know, whatever. And it's like, well, the sad fact is until you're at the point where you're able to hire a publicist or a manager or someone who's going to take care of this stuff for you, you do have to know how to do it. Um, and I think that that's something, I think a lot of musicians still have that old kind of mindset as, you know, they're going to get discovered by a label and then everything's going to be done for them. Right. And okay, that happens sometimes, you know, rarer as the days go on. So you do need to kind of at least have a basic understanding of how to communicate with people. Yeah. Because uh, you're going to need to do a lot of it yourself initially. Um, until you're at the point where you're able to build your team and, and have people that are going to do that on your behalf. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. People skills, right? And you don't necessarily need to work on it really hard and become the best you know, communicator in the world. You should just kind of know a bit, the basic psychology behind interactions and what people respond to. Definitely. At, at the end of the day, you just have to remember that the people that you're speaking with are people um, and, you know, just treat them the way that you would want to be treated. And that's half yeah. the battle, really, is, you know, making sure that you're communicating with people as people. Yeah, exactly. So let's get back to this idea of having a website. What really is the significance of a website for a musician? How important is it to have one? I think it's really important. Um, I mean, obviously, as, as a designer who works with musicians, I'm going to say that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it really acts as the main hub for everything that you do online. Um, because one, you own it. So you, you, you know, you have control over that. Whereas a social platform, you're essentially renting the space there. They can change their terms and conditions. They can, you know, change it so that you have to pay monthly. They can restrict how much content your fans see. Hello, Facebook. Um, you know, so it's important that you have a space that you own that's yours and you are in full control of, um, unless you forget to pay your hosting or your domain fees, but, <laughs> you know, uh, hopefully you're organized enough to keep on top of all that. But, uh, 
that would be number one is it's yours you own it um I think with a website as well, you can customize it so much more than you can a social platform. So it can really, yeah. you know, be a really good reflection of what you do musically in a visual way online. Um, and, you know, it, those are the kind of the, the main reasons I would say it's important to have a site. And I think it just looks professional and gives off the, you know, a good first impression, um, especially to like venues or management or booking agents or anyone that you're wanting to work with it just shows that level of commitment and professionalism that i don't think you can really get across on a facebook page or a twitter profile or you know anything like that exactly i really like those points and and to some extent it i know ever not everyone's a content marketer out there i kind of you know I'm a, I'm a big proponent of that creating content that serves your audience but that can also be a big deal if you publish something that people really really want to read or see or hear that can, you know, drive traffic to your website for the next, really for eternity in a sense, yeah. as long as your your domain doesn't expire or your hosting doesn't expire. So that's another thing that for some artists could be a major advantage. Definitely. And I think one thing to remember when you're posting on social media is always be trying to put, take people back to your website because yeah. your website is where they can sign up for your mailing list and you can get their email address, which, which is one of the most important things. You know, one of the most important pieces of data that you can get from anyone is their email address. So you always want to be trying to send people back to your site. So if you have a new video out, for example, post that as a blog post with a little a little story or paragraph just kind of talking about the video or the song and be sending people to that link on the site rather than just a link to YouTube because when they get to your site, chances are, you know, if they like the video, they're going to have a look around. They're maybe going to find out more about you and, you know, learn more about who you are as an artist or a band. Then they might decide, oh, I'm going to see where you're playing next. So they'll go to your shows page and see, you know, what your upcoming dates are. They might go to your merch or store page and then buy your album or they might buy a shirt you just don't know so i think you always need to be trying to send people back to where they can find everything which is your website i totally agree but let's step back for a second just in case there's anybody listening and wondering why they would want to collect emails so i'm an artist why would i need an email list well i think i was gonna i was gonna generalize and say i think we all remember the days of myspace but <laughs> there will be people listening that are I younger do. They're younger than us, which yeah. I feel sad to say, but um, <laughs> they, who won't know what MySpace was. So basically, when MySpace was where everyone was, everyone was using MySpace. Think of it as Facebook like 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so many bands and musicians built their audience on MySpace and they didn't build an audience anywhere else. And then people kind of left MySpace and it became sort of an abandoned ghost town. And musicians found that they had no way of communicating with their fans. So they had no way of letting people know when they were playing, uh, when they had new music out. And it was kind of a disaster for a lot of musicians because they essentially had to start from scratch. Yeah. So I think if, uh, if people were using MySpace in conjunction with their website and were collecting email addresses on their website, sure, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have had everyone that was on MySpace because not everyone would have given you their email address. But, you know, anyone that had given you their email address, you would at least still be able to keep in contact with them. And I think with the way that social media is now, I know we all rely on Facebook and, and other platforms every day, but if you're using Facebook regularly as a musician, you'll notice that your reach is you know, on the decline. Yep. Um, but if you've got someone's email address, 
you can email them an update and you know it'll get into their inbox whether they read it or they do anything about it is a different story but email still has the highest conversion rate and open rate and mm-hmm. you know competitively it's it's still number one even if it feels a little bit like an outdated kind of technology because we're using social but um so important to be getting your, those email addresses because it's the only kind of guaranteed way unless someone changes their email address that you're going to be able to get the information you want to get out to your fans reliably yeah exactly and it, it's really just the, about the only form of direct communication that you have with your fans online you can certainly communicate with them through social media but you know your posts may not be seen so your reach is definitely going to be less. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, getting people on your email list is so important. And one of the best ways to kind of persuade people to sign up is to offer them something in exchange, whether that's mm. a free track. Uh, I've seen a lot of people lately kind of giving away a whole free EP, which mm. I, I think maybe is a little much. It obviously depends on how much you want to give. Um but I say a free track, even if it's like a live or an acoustic version of a couple of a song or a couple of songs, that's a pretty fair deal. Um, especially if it's something that you weren't going to sell anyway. Uh, something that just acts as a nice incentive for people to get onto your list. Yeah. Um, you know, can definitely make a big difference. I noticed that the artists that I work with who give something in exchange for signing up definitely get a higher percentage of their visitors signing up to their list. Yeah. I think a lot of artists are maybe just scared, right? Like, okay, our competition is all giving away one track. What could we do that's bigger and better? Oh, an entire EP. And, you know, pretty soon it will be an entire album. And yeah, yeah, I yeah, don't think I, that's, it doesn't work that way, right? You don't want to no. overwhelm your audience either. So Yeah, you don't want to give away too much. I think one thing is stop seeing other artists as direct competition i think yeah. if someone wants to sign up to your mailing list you know because you're giving away one track you know they're doing it because they want to hear that track they're not doing it because you know you're giving away more or less than someone else it's more about how valuable that actual you know music itself is to them um so i wouldn't worry about you know feeling that you have to give away five tracks yeah. if you're only comfortable giving away one track only give away one track that's you know don't don't you know give away tons just because other people are absolutely do you have any other list building tips i know that you're you you do work on building your own list as well i do uh, i have to admit i'm not as good at it as i i wish i was <laughs> um uh let me think actually i mean this may be not so much in terms of building a list but i would say when you're sending newsletters out you don't want to be just selling all the time yeah. I think it's the same as when you're posting on social media. If you, all you're posting about is your upcoming shows and you're know, wanting people to buy your music, that's boring. People are just going to tune out and they're just going to ignore your updates. Same goes with email. If all you're doing is selling and asking for stuff, you know, you're probably going to end up with people unsubscribing. So actually, I guess it does relate to building in a way or the opposite of building. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to be, you know, encouraging conversation, sharing, you know, stories and and things that are going to be of interest to your audience rather than just trying to sell them stuff and get more stuff from them. If they feel appreciated and valued and kind of let into your circle, that's going to help you in the long term. So it's always about thinking about the long term goal rather than, you know, that one quick sale that you're going to make. Yeah. 
this is something I do and, and maybe it'll help some of the listeners out there too. But, and I'm not saying that I have a perfect system by a long shot, but when I'm doing email campaigns, I basically have five different emails that I send out in rotation, not the same emails, but I, ha- I, my first email is a question. So I'll pose a question to the audience asking them what they think about something. My second email will be a tip of some kind, something that I've found valuable. Third will be content, so something from the website, a blog post, a podcast episode, something that was really good recently that I want to share with them. Then I'll the fourth email will be like a download or a guide, maybe a new ebook that I just released. I'll let them know about that. And then the fifth email will be some kind of announcement. So really out of five emails, there's only one or two that are on the selling side. Everything else is just kind of value and interaction. Definitely. I think that's the way that it should be. Um, because I feel that, you know, people need to feel that they're getting something out of it rather than just you're getting something out of it. Yeah. It's all about that kind of two way street, I think. Awesome. Let's talk design for a moment. You know, bottom line, depending on who you're trying to appeal to, design, and we could even say branding, is hugely important and often needs to be tailored to the artist, individual, and really their fans. So talk about that. Yeah, no, I definitely think, you know, it needs to all be done per artist, which is why I don't like kind of any sort of pre-existing like themes, templates, all that stuff. I think everything should be custom to that particular artist because every artist is different so why why should their branding or their visuals you know look like exactly like someone else's so for me it always comes from the music and what they want to convey so um often the way that i work is i'll listen to the music and sort of think about what what imagery it conjures up you know Mm -hmm. what colors kind of come up if there's anything you know uh, what kind of tone of photography they might need, for example, like all these kind of things I get from the music and just also from just speaking to them themselves, because I think more and more now, uh, like branding, it's, it's a lot about personal branding, even, you know, if we're talking about music, it's still the musician themselves, obviously they're a person and they've got their own interests and, and, and things that they're passionate about. And I think that has to come across, even if it's just very subtly in the branding. Um, and I think a lot of that can be done through the photography and the visual side of things. Um, so for me, it's all about kind of getting to know who they are and hearing their music and just sort of seeing what, what comes out and what works alongside the audio. Yeah. And that's like really abstract, but I, I like that. I dig the way you're, you're going about crafting an image for them, listening to the music and then imagining what sort of imagery and colors come to mind. Very, very abstract, but artistic. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Um, I actually, I, I did some album artwork for a client and, uh, and he had a few ideas of what kind of thing he wanted to go for. And we were trying it, but I just wasn't really feeling like any of it was really working. And then I had a dream, and in my dream, it was the album artwork, uh, which hmm. it sounds really strange. But and I was like, well, I'm I'm gonna I, I can remember it really vividly as to what it looked like in my dream. So so I emailed him and I said, look, this is gonna sound really weird, but I had an, I had a dream about what your album art was gonna look like. I'm like, do you mind if I play around with some ideas and and send it to you? So I sent him what you know what I could come up with that was from my dream. <laughs> and he emailed back and he's like yeah I know this is really cool so all we need to do is change some of the colors and this will be perfect 
But it's just really weird because it was almost the complete opposite of what he was describing initially. Hmm. Uh, and this, I, I don't know where it came from, uh, but it did. And it's not, you know, overly complicated or anything. It's just, it was just the, the, what came out. And um, so I've been trying to pay attention to that more. Like if I, if I have a dream or some sort of weird, like instinctual idea, even if it's really far from what we've discussed, I'll often just say, look, can I try this? It's like, you might hate it and it might be wrong and that's fine. But I think going with your instincts is a really big thing. And I, I've definitely found that more in the last sort of year or so. Um, I'm going with my instincts design wise a lot more, even if it's a little off, you know, uh, away from what we've discussed previously. Um, and from, for the most part, it's been working. Hmm. So, uh, that would be kind of some general advice. Go with your instincts. Yeah. Well, in today's very rational world, what you just mentioned might seem weird. But if you look back in history, and I've been learning a lot about like Carl Jung and Wolfgang Pauli as of late, a lot of things to them also came in visions and dreams. And to, to val- you know, somehow add some validation to their philosophies or ideas of how the world worked came from you know, those dreams or visions that they had. So I can, I can definitely appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, to me, it sounds, it sounds kind of weird, but you know, yeah. I, I feel like if you've got an instinct, then just go with it. At least just try it. Yeah. Um, because you probably had that feeling for a reason. And one other weird thing about design that I kind of wanted to touch on, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but like some, if like we'll say for example you're an artist and you appeal largely to maybe the 40 and 40 and up crowd sometimes having like a website with older design is almost more advantageous because people are in that age range or maybe more familiar with like the way the web was in the late 90s versus how websites look and function today yeah i, I can i can i can see that point um i would say definitely pay attention to what kind of websites that they would um that they would be familiar with so in terms of when you're putting the navigation and stuff together mm-hmm. you you make you want to make sure that that's somewhere that they would expect to find it you know um a lot of people have like the little sort of the three bar hamburger menu that you click and then it opens the full menu uh i think that that's a very modern thing and i think yeah older people who are not you know as tech savvy and on online in the same way that people that grew up with the internet have been, um, would probably find that confusing. So I would say that's probably something that they, that you would avoid if you're designing a site that's geared towards an older audience. Um, but I would say you probably still want it to be modern enough that it's not going to turn off people that, you know, younger people that may still like the music, but yeah, definitely bear in mind who the, the target audience is and, and go with something that they are going to be able to use and feel comfortable with. Yeah, I like that. And I was actually in the business of web and graph design for about nine years. It's not something I talk about that much, I guess, on the podcast. But so, you know, I have, uh, you know, some things in common, but I'm, I'm probably wasn't operating anywhere near your level. We just kind of had a few clients per year and we were somewhat profitable. <laughs> but I have to say, you know, there was a steep learning curve for me anyway, especially when it came to like setting expectations and timelines around the completion of projects. Have you found the same thing? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would say um, I'm still kind of getting to grips, even though I've been doing it sort of full time for around four years. 
Um, yeah, I feel like I'm still getting to grips with the kind of pricing and timelines mm -hmm. and all the businessy kind of side of things because yeah. I had no business experience prior to doing this full time. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a bit of a challenge. Uh, I mean, I do, I really enjoy all the kind of the client facing stuff. I love talking with clients and, and, um, you know, finding out what, what they like and what they don't like and how we're going to work together and, you know, make stuff really awesome. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to the more business aspects, you know, the, the contracts and the financial side, still learning. I think I'm always going to be learning about that. Yeah. Another thing I'm kind of curious about is how, how you generate business on an ongoing basis. You know, how do you keep creating leads to find your next client? Um, I mean, I would say in the early days, a lot of it was done through Twitter. I was getting most of my new clients through Twitter um, and also word of mouth. Now it's more so word of mouth um, referrals from like other businesses. Uh, like I, there are a couple of like PR agencies and um, and artist management companies that I've done some work with and mm. they quite often will refer their clients to me and I'll, you know, recommend them, you know, where it's uh, relevant. Um and I get quite a lot of people just finding me through other artist websites that I've done. So, yeah, the, the main ways would be Twitter, um, word of mouth, and other sites that I've done, generally. Well, the social media aspect definitely fascinates me. So how does one generate business through something like Twitter? It's really just through having conversations with people. Like, I never kind of go on, you know, Twitter with the the idea that I'm going to get a new client today. Um, so I'm a big fan of Twitter lists. So a lot of the time what I'll do when, when there's someone that I find interesting musically and I feel like I would like to work with them, I'll add them to a Twitter list and, and I, you know, I'll keep an eye on that list. So there'll be maybe like a few hundred people on that list who I'm really interested in kind of keeping up to date with their career, you know, and if we got to work together, that would be amazing but it's not the only goal. Um, so I'll go through that list and I'll like, like their, you know, tweets if, if I do genuinely like them and I'll, I'll, you know, have conversations with them. Um, and sometimes it gets to the point where we become really friendly and then we'll maybe become like friends on Facebook or they'll, you know, say, Oh, I've got a couple of questions about design. Can I send you an email? And they do. And then sometimes that progresses to us having a business relationship, whereas they're the client and I'm the designer. Um, and sometimes it doesn't happen that way, but they will be familiar with me that they then say, hey, my friend is looking for a website. Can I introduce you? So it's just really about, you know, staying on people's radar and having conversations. That's how I found that Twitter and Facebook, to an extent, have, have worked for me in building my client base. Mm. I can definitely attest to the power of Twitter lists. What I'm about to say is going to sound sort of like Neil Patel, um, ego stroking sort of style, but like creating a Twitter list called amazing artists or amazing sounding artists, adding them to that list. Then they see that you've added them to that list. And then they go, Hey, thank you. Thank you for that compliment. Yeah, definitely. And I just think, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, obviously you want to do that from like a genuine place, not, you know, <laughs> just do it cause you can, but. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree. I am, 
I, I don't like it when it feels like there's some kind of robotic element to being added to a list. Like I, I've yeah. seen there's some lists I've been added to and it's like, uh, you know, web designers number five. I'm like, okay, well, so you've already got five lists of web designers and I'm pretty sure you can have something like a thousand people per list or maybe even more than that. So yeah. it's like, oh, great. Well, thanks. I'm, I feel really, uh, really flattered that I'm added to list number five. Um, but no, it definitely has to come from a genuine place. And I think for me, Twitter lists just help me to keep everything organized and they allow me to sort of get the information that I want when I want it rather than having to scroll through lots of tweets that might not really be that relevant. Uh, yeah, it's definitely helped me. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you do kind of arbitrarily get, if you're active on Twitter at all, you do just kind of arbitrarily get added to various lists and, and sometimes they're cool and sometimes you just go, Hmm, why would they bother? You know, just for the heck of it, I guess. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about Bridge the Atlantic. So what are some things you've learned from running the podcast? It's quite a bit of work to run it, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot more work than we anticipated. So yeah. um, I, I co-host this with um, with my friend Marcio, who yeah. is in Canada, so closer to you than he is to me, I believe. Yeah. Um, and we met actually because uh, he was looking for a website. So we, we had sort of the whole client uh, business relationship going on, but we ended up getting on so well that we, we'd always just talk on Skype just because. Um and yeah, we just decided to start this show. And I think one of the big things I've learned from doing it is how powerful a networking tool it can be. Um, because there's been so many people that I've I've come into contact with, and mostly again through Twitter, that I've always wanted to have a conversation with. But the, it's difficult to kind of just say, hey, you know, I'd love to chat. Can we Skype? Because it it's just a bit, I don't know, I think they would question, well, why, why do you want to Skype? You, you want to just talk for half an hour? I don't get it. Mm. But I find that having a podcast, it gives you a reason to to get in touch with these people and actually have a face-to-face conversation. Yeah. So uh, there is a, there's a producer called Jesse Cannon. Uh, he's also written a few, a really great music industry book called Get More Fans. And um, and I always just wanted to, to have a conversation with him because I felt we were on the same kind of wavelength. And... Uh, having the podcast gave me a reason to reach out and say, Hey, Jesse, like, I'd love to have you on the show. Uh, we'd love to talk to you. Can we do it? And I was quite surprised that in, almost instantly within literally like two minutes, he replies, yep, let's set up. Here's my email. And, you know, the next week I was talking with him, we were, you know, sharing stories and he was sharing some really great bits of advice. And, you know, to this day now we still email back and forth a little bit and, um, you know, if we have any questions about stuff, like if I've got questions that are more related to production or management, I can ask him. If he's got questions about web design, he'll ask me. Mm. So it's great. So it's it's been a really good way of um, of building relationships with people that you probably wouldn't have um, had a chance to jump on Skype with. Um, and there's been musicians, you know, that I've been fans of for years, and and they've come on the show. And it's it's been nice as well just to sort of say, you know, I've listened to you for ten years or so, and I'd like to say thanks for, you know, the music that you've made and the impact that you've had on my life. It's, it's been a really big deal for me. So that's been great. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I would say from a networking standpoint, it's been amazing. Uh, but you're right. It's a lot, a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. But I enjoy that aspect of it too. Definitely connecting with people. 
I've had the chance to chat with both Marcio and Jesse on my previous podcast. This is my new podcast, but uh, maybe I'll have to have them back on on the new show as well once I have the opportunity. Because I still, you know, I still re- respect all my guests and like the content that I created with my previous show. But it, you know, it was just kind of time to move on and try my hand at something a little bit different. Sure. So. Yeah, it was I think it was a really good tool for that and and a learning learning tool <clears throat> a learning tool as well cuz you can learn from the people who share their experiences. And I like that aspect of podcasting too. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I just love um you know that people can share their stories and share their experiences in a way that is kind of is entertaining and you know we get to learn from them, our listeners get to learn from them. Um our audience get to meet new people and their fans get to, you know, get to hear them talk in a way that, you know, a lot of people don't really get to talk. Uh, I think yeah. especially when it comes to artists, like everything tends to be, tell us about your new music, tell us about your tour and all this kind of stuff. Whereas we want to get to know them a little bit more on a, a more personal level and then also find out more about what their approach is to, you know, the music industry, especially if they've had particular success in a specific area like maybe it's like sync and licensing or maybe they've done a really great crowdfunding campaign you know we want to find out about that so you know their fans get to know them a little bit more uh, on the personal level but then other artists can learn from them on you know the more kind of industry business kind of level and that's similar to what, what i was saying to marcio as well because i when i was researching before our interview kind of just looked at some of the videos that were out there and you know the the tv show format of interviews just when's your next show what's your latest release and you know like a couple of quick questions and then they just want you to play so that doesn't provide i mean it might be good press and everything it just doesn't provide an opportunity to share one story so i think it's awesome that you're providing a forum for that Thank you. Yeah, we're definitely having a lot of fun with it. So I, I mean, I know I say it's a lot of work, but the fun I think definitely outweighs the the work part of it, and uh, and people seem to be liking it. So yeah, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing that I noticed was I was doing monthly for a long time, had fun with it, didn't care that it was a lot of work. Then I moved to like biweekly and weekly. By the time I had done weekly for several years, I went, oh my goodness. <laughs> this is way more work than I even ever realized. Yeah, definitely. That's that's why we try and and stay ahead of ourselves. So we try and have you know at least four episodes, you know, lined up, you know, recorded and edited and scheduled out, so that we don't have that frantic kind of ah, we don't have an episode for this week. What are we going to do? Because I I feel like that would be you know a lot of stress, and we wouldn't get the kind of quality that we're that we're looking for. So I think planning ahead's definitely helped us out. That's something we learned quite early on, mm-hmm. um, that we needed to have that kind of buffer in place. Um, otherwise, it would just be unmanageable because we're both doing our own things. You know, I'm, I'm running my design business and Marcio's uh, a full-time musician and dad, so yeah. he's got a lot going on. So in order for us to do everything we need to do, we had to be organized. Um, and I think that organization helps in every kind of aspect. Yeah, good tip. <laughs> Every podcaster should definitely try to stay ahead. What are some valuable things that you've learned from the guests you've had on Bridge the Atlantic? Is there anything that really strikes you as being particularly interesting? Um, I mean, there's one one of our guests. Um, 
And I can't remember if, if she actually was talking about this on the show or if this was kind of in our like post show chat. So I'm not going to mention who it was, but, um, mm. but she was talking about how um, a lot of our, um, fans don't realize um, how little money musicians sometimes make. Yeah. Um, and they may have a false idea of how, um, how financially successful they are based on some of the stuff they've done, whether it's, you know, whether they've been like a finalist on one of the reality shows like The Voice or American Idol or, um, you know, or they, they may have this kind of perceived image of success that isn't actually real. Um, and, and what she was saying to me was a lot of her fans were asking, well, why don't you tour? Why, why aren't you touring? Why can't I come see you? And her response was, well, by the time I've paid my band, because she it's a pretty uh, big kind of band that she would need for for her performances she's like there's no money left so i i don't have the i don't have the backing of a label behind me i'm funding everything myself and that's why i don't tour and and that kind of struck me we we actually spoke probably for over yeah. an hour after the interview about all this stuff and it just kind of made me think there needs to be a way for artists and fans to have a bit more of an open conversation and ways for artists to encourage the you know their their audience to support them in a way uh they're not they're not begging for money and they're not you know sounding desperate but it just it's kind of putting all the facts out there and letting the fans see the reality of the situation so because of that conversation and um and a blog post that i wrote um i decided that i was going to write a book uh geared towards Hmm. kind of how to build relationships with others in the industry and with your fans um, in a way that we can have a bit more of a transparent conversation and hopefully generate more support all around. Um, so I've, I've in the super, super early stages of the book, um, but that kind of came about really by, the, by having that conversation with her. So that would be one of the big things that I've learned. Um, I mean, to be honest, there's been so much, there's been so much. In fact, we've done, at the time of recording this, we've done probably around 80 five interviews uh they're they're not all released yet but um mm. we've done so many so it's kind of hard to think of specific bits of advice that uh that come up but there's been a lot um i probably need to go back and have a look through <laughs> some of the notes and you know to really be reminded but that was definitely a big one personally for me because it it made me think a lot about you know i probably am guilty of it too thinking that certain artists are really successful because they appear to be successful, uh, whereas that may not be the reality. And I think if if more of us knew, uh, you know, more about the costs of everything that, you know, the artists have to pay out, you know, it may make us more likely to actually, you know, go to their show instead of not going to their show. Mm. That makes sense. No, I think that's a really great story. So I think I listened to your interview on the Nice Guys on Business podcast. At that point, you were still kind of bulking at the idea of a book it seems like but uh, yeah no yeah actually that was before I decided to write a book and um and it was actually after I had a conversation with Jesse Cannon um on his podcast uh, that it kind of came out that I was gonna I was gonna write it because I think that interview happened somewhere in between the nice guys interview and this interview I did on Jesse's show so yeah well, it's a neat experience you know I just came out with physical copies earlier this year and the digital copies came out last year in June so yeah 
it's a it's a really neat process. And if you have any questions, <laughs> I'm not. Oh, sure. I'm sure you're going to regret asking that because <laughs> I'm probably going to have a ton of questions. Because, I'm happy uh, to help. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I need to actually just write the thing first. So that's that's yeah. a task number one is write it, and then I'll deal with all the um, you know, all the stuff that needs to happen for it to actually become a real thing. But um, I'm excited about it. I am excited. I still need. I've still got work to do myself in figuring out the exact direction and all the points that I want to make. But uh, I definitely am feeling excited by it. Awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but I think the, the thousand word a day model works pretty well. <laughs> cool. I think once I once I start writing, I'm I'm pretty good at, at keeping going. It's actually just starting gotcha. that seems to be the the big thing for me. But once I get started, I often write too much and then have to you know, take stuff out. But I think that's, uh, yeah, that's probably how it's going to go for me. Yeah, that's how we all start. We, we create, you know, really bad first drafts. So I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't fear that too much. And speaking of which, are there any books you've read recently or in the past that have really impacted your thinking or approach to your career? Um, I don't really do as much reading as I should do, mm. to be honest. Um, most of the reading that I've done, um, has just been kind of on blogs and, and stuff and, and listening to a lot of podcasts. Uh, what have I read lately? Um, I read a book by, I'm trying to think how to pronounce his name, Jeff Lesowitz called Not Effing Around. Okay. And it was like a really small kind of like pocket-sized book and it's more just kind of um, kind of motivation and um, an inspirational kind of short, you know, not not quite stories, but like really kind of short little sections um, about kind of creativity and, and working, you know, making a living as a creative person. So I definitely say that his book worth checking out. It's really short. I read it on a, a 45 minute flight to London. So you can read it in, in one go. Um, and Jesse Cannon's book is probably the last kind of big music industry book that I read. So that said, DIY, mm-hmm. Get More Fans, DIY guide to the music business i think is the full name uh, but it was excellent it's the one that i recommend to everyone if anyone ever asks me for a music industry book because it's pretty comprehensive it's a long one it's like over 700 pages but it answers pretty much all the questions that, that you would have for you know getting started as a, a musician and, and making things actually work for you very cool and i am planning on reading that as well so we're just about coming to that time where we need to wrap up but is there anything else i should have asked Ooh, um no i think you've done a pretty a pretty awesome job i think we covered some of the big points um no i don't think there's anything else you should have asked unless you feel there's anything else you should have asked <laughs> no i think that was a great conversation so where can people find you online and is there anything else you want to plug um, best place to find me is my website, which is electrickiwi.co.uk. That's co.uk. Um, I'm on Twitter like most of the time. My name on there is Electric Kiwi. Same for Instagram, also Electric Kiwi. And Facebook is Electric Kiwi Design. And if you want to check out my podcast, I would love you to uh, hop on over and see what we're doing. Um, it's called Bridge the Atlantic. You'll find us on YouTube and iTunes. And the website address is bridge-the-atlantic.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, Ross, and thank you for your generosity. Thanks so much. All right. 
Thanks for listening. Make sure to go to musicentrepreneurbook.com for show notes and other goodies. And leave a review in iTunes to help us spread the word. 